The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He's a college funding consultant uh, based in Milwaukee. Uh, and his uh, website and knowledge is Taming the High Cost of College. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hi, great to be here. Uh, let's start with a little bit of your expertise and how you kind of specialize in this whole area of college funding. Okay, great. Well, I started my career as a financial planner, so I've been helping families with the typical how do you save enough for retirement, where do you save, do you have enough insurance, all the typical financial planning. And I started working with parents as well that were dealing with college. And it was pretty easy to figure things out when you had a young student. You know, If you've got a two-year-old and you've got 18 years to save, you can do the math and you can save you know, X amount and have a big pot of money for college. But occasionally I'd run across the parent of a 17-year-old. And at that point, when you do the math and you need to save 6200 per month, it all kind of falls apart. So yet people were still going to college all around me. So how are they doing that? And I realized that there's obviously there's aid, there's need-based aid and merit aid, there's loans, there's all kinds of different programs. And I realized that most people weren't doing the best they could in every area of the financial process when it comes to college. So then I launched a second business where we focus on late-stage college planning. Um, and that's typically parents of high school kids that are just trying to figure it all out. And then you created this website, TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. What is available at that website? All right. Yeah, so it's a podcast where we have you know, audio and about 50 or 60 shows now. There's also articles, and I'm working on putting up some things like calculators. Uh, we have a free scholarship training resource at TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com slash scholarships that helps people understand and pursue scholarships or to understand scholarships and decide it's not worth pursuing scholarships. But So there's all kinds of just great information that our goal is to help parents you know, save time, save money, and reduce stress when it comes to planning for college. So let's kind of talk about, start with the big picture before we get into all the details. Mm-hmm. When people are getting to college, how many of them are ready or financially able to do so, and how many are just completely unprepared, just as a percentage of the people entering the college financing process? Right. I would say, I mean, they obviously people come in all flavors, but I would say there's a lot of people that stumble through college, probably more than half, where they kind of do things because they have to. They're running a little bit late. You know, they're figuring out how to pay for college in the 11th hour. They're figuring out when and how to visit and what schools to attend. And, you know, and I think they're going through it with a lot of regrets, often saying, well, if I'd have known this, I would have done it differently type of situation. And that's because typically that's the way our parent, you know, the parents did it. When you and I went to college, in a lot of cases, it was something you dealt with in your senior year of high school. Um, that doesn't work anymore for most families, as well as it should because the prices are higher. And now 
families really should be starting in their junior year or even sooner. Um, so, so I see a lot of families that are kind of behind. So um, what is the ideal, let, let's put you in an ideal situation and say mm -hmm. you've got kids just starting freshman year. If you got them freshman year, what process would you take them through both on the college picking side as well as the financial preparation so that they have the process go more smoothly than, as you say, kind of last minute senior year scrambling? Right. And you just said something, and let me emphasize that. It is two separate plans. One is the financial plan and what the parents are going to do. And the other plan is what is the student going to do. Now, depending on the maturity of the student, you may not be ready to be visiting colleges. But as a parent, you might say, I know college is coming. We're not ready to visit. We're not ready to pick a school. We're not ready to do that kind of stuff. But should we be saving and investing? Should we you know, be paying down debt in, prep in preparation for college? Are we saving enough? Have we discussed how much we can actually afford or want to afford? Is our opinion that we're going to pay for it all? Are we going to pay for some? Um, are we going to build a team? Is our financial advisor on board? Do, our tax guy, you know, if you're a business owner, you, know, you might have other professionals that might get involved. So just kind of what I would call late-stage college planning. Early stages, you could save and invest and all that kind of stuff. Late stages, okay, it's, we're there. You know, how many times are we going to take the test? What schools are we going to visit? How much are we going to pay? Will we get need-based aid? Will we get merit aid? Are we going to pursue scholarships? All those things need to be planned, you know, hardcore once you get into high school at some point. Now, if you start as a freshman, you've got a lot of time, relatively speaking, where you can kind of learn slowly and, you know, work your way into it. Whereas if you wait till the, you know, the end of your junior year or senior year, now you have a lot of the learning to do, and you have to do it very quickly. So what's and, the difference in the outcome of somebody that starts freshman year and does it the way you said versus somebody who starts junior or senior year and just is scrambling to do it? What is the outcome both financially and the kind of schools they end up in and what kind of a match that is to them? Right. Well, I think a lot of mistakes are made and a lot of uh, promises are made that maybe you wouldn't have made had you known better. Um, and I think a lot of extra money is spent. Um, because you don't qualify for as much aid as you might have, or you don't win scholarships because you run out of time to pursue them. Um, and that would be a classic example where many families talk about scholarships, but by the time they realize how much work they are and what they need to do, and they're, they're, you know, they're just rolling into their senior year and the student has to apply to colleges for admission, parents are working on financial aid and financial aid forms, and you talk about scholarships, but you never actually buckle down and find them and apply for them because it just falls by the wayside where you say, well, we've got other deadlines and other priorities and scholarships just don't ever get done. Do you have like a whole timeline that you set out for people as to what they need to be doing by when, whether it be visiting colleges, applying for financial aid, applying for scholarships? Is that something you provide them as kind of a, a game plan for the next two years starting junior year? Absolutely. Um, when I was, especially the clients I'm working with, we set targets. And, of course, the, the timeline thing can uh, change depending on what, you know, how, how mature is your student. You know? And, again, as an example, some families are going to be visiting a lot of schools. We might go East Coast. We might go West Coast. We might go to Texas. That's some major road trips for a lot of families. Other families are saying, well, we're going to pick between the three or four schools right here in town. That's a much different, you know, visit schedule and effort that would need to be put into just visits. 
But you can start thinking about that at freshman, sophomore year of high school and say, well, what kind of student do I have? Is it likely that they're going to want to go explore the Ivies or look around at all the Big Ten schools? Or is it likely they're going to be just a local kid and plan accordingly? Do you deal with students around the country or mostly in the Milwaukee area? Uh, both, uh, actually. I have a, a consulting one-on-one across the desk kind of planning here in the Milwaukee area. But I also do it virtually with well, you know, with whoever um, you know, my farthest away clients are in New York City and I've had a couple clients in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands and California, et cetera. Um, so we can do it virtually as well. Um, and then the taming website is a lot of great information, you know, where you, you know, you just plug in and listen to podcasts, download information, that type of thing. So let's start at the beginning. Say you have a newborn and they're going to want to do things right. What are some things they can do to set up investment plans to build up money so that by the time they get to college, they have to borrow less? Yes. All right. So if you have a newborn right now, I guess I would be a little bit nervous as far as what you might do, because I think higher education is going to change. I don't know how and I don't know when exactly, but the course we're on is probably not going to be consistent. And um, some ideas that are out there the online education and some of those things may be a disruptor. So college may be a lot different. But what I encourage families to do is just be smart financially so you have the options when you get there. You know, don't take on more debt than you can handle. Don't buy a bigger house than you can handle. Just save and invest in general so that you have some assets for when you get to college. You know, it may not be in a quote unquote college savings plan, but if you have an extra fifty or hundred thousand dollars tucked away into retirement more than you would have had otherwise. Maybe you could tap a little of that, or during college years you could say, "Well, I've funded retirement very well up until now. I'm going to back off on that, pay for college for a few years, and then go back to retirement savings." But you can what you do pro- it. Sorry. What What are the pros and cons of investing in the child's name in a uniform gift to minors? Are called an UGMA account or saving in the parent's name, uh, or saving in like a 529 plan where it's kind of in a dedicated college. What are the pros and cons of the different places you save? Right. And I, I like the way you ask that question, what are the pros and cons? Because occasionally somebody asks me, well, what is better? And there is no better. They're just different. And so it really depends on what you're looking for. There is no perfect plan. So starting with the UGMA, UTMA, um, those plans, you know, put the money in the student's name. It's not good for financial aid because it's considered a student asset. Now, again, for some families, you're not going to get any financial aid anyway, so there's nothing to mess up. And uh, so that's one, I guess, piece of the puzzle. Then on top of that, we would have the 529s. That's great from tax perspective, but now it's locked in and you have to spend it on college or you're going to pay penalties and uh, taxes on it that you wouldn't have had to pay otherwise. So, and then finally, you can in save, the parent's name, yeah, right. You can just save directly in a savings account or a mutual fund or some sort of investment, and that has complete flexibility. But you don't have the tax benefits that you would get from the other two types of accounts. So, again, all three of them good are you know good in some ways and bad in others. And for a lot of families, it's not one or the other. It's a little of two or maybe all three options. Because what I hear from people all the time is, I don't want to save in the kid's name because I get penalized when I get to the FAFSA form. If I save in the parent's name, 
that penalizes me to some extent as well. So it's better mm -hmm. to save in some kind of a protected account, <clears throat> like an annuity or an IRA, where they don't count it towards FAFSA. Is that the right way to look at it, as to where to save? Yeah, that that is another option. Of course, getting the money back out again, and that's the catch-22 of financial aid planning. If you spend all your time hiding all your assets so they're not available to pay for college and you don't list them on the financial aid forms, that's a problem because now when the bill comes, you don't have any assets to pay the bill either. So there's got to be a balance. of, And it's a really hard thing to do when you've got a four-year-old to say, oh, i projecting that far in advance. And that's why I tell families to, you know, just pay down your debt and do other things, you know, save for your own retirement, max fund a Roth IRA just in case, those types of things that, where you have some flexibility. As far as where to invest, that's the place to what to invest in. Say, again, you have a newborn or a young child uh, and you have 15 years to go. Would you go into aggressive stock mutual funds or zero coupon bonds or what vehicles would you use? no matter where you save it in those three different areas. Right. I would, again, if you're working with a financial advisor, certainly get their help. Um, but certainly when you have young kids investing relatively aggressively, and when I say relatively aggressive, I'm talking about aggressive, well-balanced mutual funds, not oil wells or you know something that's truly aggressive. Um, but if you're choosing an aggressive 529 as an example, that certainly could be appropriate. Um, if you've got you know two and four year olds at home, so to speak, and you're looking at ten or fifteen years before you need the money, um, and then as your student gets older, you can you know ratchet down and become more conservative, all the way to you know a guaranteed type accounts. And I think that's another important thing to realize is choosing how aggressively to invest is one decision, and where to invest is a different decision. So you can have aggressive or conservative investments inside a five twenty nine inside of an UDMA or UCMA, inside a Roth IRA, inside just a plain old mutual fund. All of them can be aggressive or conservative. And then the choice of account determines how you pay taxes and when and who has control, et cetera. So there's two separate decisions of should I be investing aggressively or conservatively for college? And once I do that investment, where should I do it as far as what type of account? Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. Uh, he is a college funding consultant. Uh, his website is tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Uh, he is a, a financial planner as well, based in the Milwaukee area. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, welcome back. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. Uh, he is a college funding consultant uh, who helps people uh, fund college, go through the whole process of going through that. And his website is Taming thehighcostofcollege.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hi, great to be here. So now let's take people into the teen years. Um, say even their middle school or kind of beginning uh, high school. Let, let's talk about the academic track and then the financial track. First of all, on the academic track, when is it that the kids should actively start looking at colleges and visiting and kind of figuring out what would be the appropriate college for them? In many cases, the kids are kind of lost. They don't really have a sense of that. How do you kind of get them focused so they end up in a college that's appropriate for them academically? Yes. So that starts, I guess, with your visit strategy. And there's, I guess when I'm coaching families, I tell them that there's a number of different visit types of visits that you might be doing. So you can start with what I would call preliminary visits, where we happen to be going to vacation in Florida, so we're going to drive by Florida State. We're going to get out of the car and look around for a little while and say that we've seen Florida State. Or... You know, we're going to visit our aunt, and she's an alumni of this particular school, and we're just going to pop by and kind of check it out. And you might be doing that, you know, freshman, sophomore year, at a point where you realize what schools might be appropriate for the student. So if you've got the real go-getter student and you're looking at high-end schools, you know, you can start that. And if you know have you more of a local kid, you know, you don't want to be looking at Harvard if you don't really have Harvard on your list, so to speak. Um, but that's kind of where you start. And then as you move into maybe your junior, late junior year, senior year, that's when you start doing more in-depth visits where maybe you're spending the whole day on campus, you're talking to financial aid, you're talking to admissions, you're eating in the dining hall, you're visiting a class, you're talking to somebody that uh, is in charge of your particular career path or major. You know, so you're talking to the engineering department or you're talking to the nursing you know, department or whatever it might be. Um, and then at the very end, once you've applied to school and been accepted, if you're still on the fence at a particular school, a lot of colleges offer visits for accepted seniors where you can go do an overnight and kind of kick the tires one more time at the very end and say, okay, 
um, you know, now that I've been here, I'm, I like it and I'm committed. I'll go ahead and commit to it. Um, and a lot of colleges do that because they know if they can get you on campus, there's a good chance you'll sign up. After so, that. so what are the, some of the things the students should be looking for to know what's the right place for them? I mean, you go to a class, you have somebody nice in the dining room, but you know, you're making a huge financial and time commitment to this place. What, what are the things you should objectively decide this is or is not the right place for me? Right. Well, I think, um, first of all, I think that's, that varies by student, but you, you need to spend some time to figure that out. As an example, if you're pre-med and going to spend a lot of time in the sciences, you probably want to see the science labs. Um, and if they take you in to show you their, their shiny new stadium, if you're not a football fan, you know, maybe you skip that part of the tour because that really shouldn't influence your decision if you're not going to spend any time in the stadium. And that, I think that's where you do a few practice visits potentially to start to feel, figure out what pieces are important. And that you, you, know, you visit a school and then you visit the next school and the next school starts talking about their study abroad program. And then you realize, hey, that's something I'm interested in. You put that on your list to check out on all the future schools. And maybe you go back to the schools that you're already done with and say, hey, I forgot to ask you about study abroad. Do you have a program like that? And then you can compare and contrast. But I think that's part of the process is figuring out what it is that you're looking for and what it is important, you know, kind of the must-haves, like-to-have, not all that important to me type of list of things that you're comparing and contrasting. And how about online? I mean, the, these uh, campuses have a whole online tour and can you get a real sense online or is it kind of just hype and, and, and you shouldn't look, look at it too much? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the virtual tours, I think, have a place, especially, again, if you're likely to be looking all over the country and it might be a place to start where you say, well, I've got two or three um, visit times in, in mind and I want to use them at schools that I'm truly interested in. So you might start with a virtual tour of the East Coast and then come to the conclusion that while I'm in Boston, this is the school I want to look at. And while I'm in New York, this is the school I'm going to look at. Um, where So that you're actually making best use of your travel dollars and your time um, by doing something preliminarily by looking at the college's own websites or going to some of the other virtual tour websites that are out there. And then, okay, so that's kind of on the academic side. And on the financial side, getting ready for the FAFSA form what is the best way to kind of think about it as to where your assets should be? And because most people have never done this before, they're totally shocked, and the expected family contribution is far more than people expected. How can you kind of prepare yourself early on when that FAFSA form uh, has to come up? Yeah. So on the financial side, it's a little extra work, but nothing needs to be a surprise when it comes to college. For a lot of families, it is, right? They, they apply in the fall of their senior year. They do their financial aid in the winter of their senior year, and they get financial offers at the end of their senior year. And then they're surprised that you know some colleges are more expensive than others, and maybe they're more expensive than they even realized, and now they're in a bit of shock and scramble mode. That shouldn't happen if you spend your time up front figuring it out. You know, Picking a, a good college is kind of like shopping for a car. I mean, they've got the sticker price in the window, but if you work at it, you can do online research, you can talk to some dealers, you can learn what the real price of a particular car is and what the real value of the car is and how well it's rated. And all that stuff's available. It just takes time and effort. The same thing can be said with colleges, right? There's all kinds of lists out there. There's great websites that, you know, like college, you know, 
the college board has a big future. There's all kinds of great places where you can get information. It's spending the time to learn enough about it so that you can collect the information and use it to your advantage. So what realistically um, can people get off the so-called list price? I mean, you know how to negotiate with car dealers, but uh, and what kind of leverage do you have to have to be able to have them reduce the tuition from the list price? Right. So it can go from lots of leverage to nothing at all. So there's two forms of aid. There's need-based aid and there's merit aid. And merit aid is based on the academics and abilities of the student. You know, we've all heard of the star quarterback that gets a full ride. And we've kind of in the back of our mind have heard of that superstar, super academic star. The valedictorian got to go here, won a big scholarship and didn't pay very much. But those opportunities are available to a lot of students, whether it's, you know, again, academics or athletics or other reasons that schools may pursue you. On top of that, or instead of that, you may also get need-based aid, which is based on your family's ability to pay. It's based on mom and dad's income, the student's income and assets, um, and the number of students you have in college primarily. But And we can you know, dive into that a little bit. But you fill out forms. Based on those forms, they may award you additional aid because of your ability or inability to pay the bills. Now, for a lot of families, especially middle income and up, what you think you need and what the colleges think you need can be vastly different. And I think that's where one of the big surprises comes in. This is the expected family contribution that you're coming up with, right? Correct. And, and how is that determined? Uh, because you say most people think what they're going to contribute is far less than the college thinks they should contribute. How does that whole thing work? Right. So financial aid forms is kind of like taxes in that you fill out a, a form and you, you put in your income and your assets and all kinds of demographic information. And it, it's about 100 questions. And most of it isn't that difficult. But a few questions are a little more challenging. Uh, once you give that data, the difference is, however, on a tax form, you do the math right in front of you and you see the answer. With a FAFSA, you submit the form, the government does the math, and they come back to you with what's called your expected family contribution. And that number is essentially what they feel you can afford to spend in one year. And that's way oversimplifying it. So it would be, and again, to get very technical again, it's cost of attendance minus your expected family contribution equals your financial need. Cost of attendance is the total cost of a school. It's tuition, room and board, books, fees, you know, beer and pizza, the whole cost of a typical school. Expected family contribution, that's the number we just talked about. It's calculated based on your financial aid form. You compare those two numbers and it determines how much you need. Um, so as an example, school, state school, let's say costs $25,000. You do the forms, and it comes back, and it says your EFC is 15000 Well, you take the 25 minus 15, means your need is $10,000. So now you're eligible for $10,000 of need-based aid. But a lot of families get shocked at what the expected family contribution is. It's much higher than they normally expect. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, the EFC comes in relatively high for most families. And um, what do you deal with? When, you, when that happens and they're in shock, how do you deal with that? Well, and again, it really depends on the family and, and what's going on. There may be things you can do to improve it if you plan ahead of time. Um, but ultimately, in a lot of cases, it's, you know, it's something you're just going to have to live with and fill the gaps with 
you know, either cash flow, you know, additional work, additional income, loans, or saving and investing, or tapping other assets, or it just really depends on the family. But, and I think that's, you know, a key ingredient of college planning is understanding what your need-based financial aid is going to look like. Do you, are you going to show a need? Um, if so, how much? And on top of that, once you show a need, it doesn't necessarily mean that all colleges are going to fill your need. Some are more well-endowed than others. You're going to probably get more aid from the more well-endowed schools compared to the lesser well-endowed schools, correct? That's correct. Some of the high-end, very prestigious schools out there, they meet 100% of everybody's need. So if they, if they do a calculation and you need, you know, at a $60,000 school, you need fifty. They will come up with a $50,000 package. Now, it won't necessarily all be free money, but it might be a combination of scholarships, loans, grants, work and work study. Uh, but they will, you know, essentially make it all come together. Now, other colleges, you know, especially like state schools, I've seen it often where based on the numbers, you need $18,000, let's say. Except when they, you get your offer, the college says, I'm sorry, all we have is 8000 so even though you needed 18, they didn't have it. The best they could do was offering eight. So, and that's the other important thing to realize when it comes to planning is there are things you can do to increase your need, but just because you increased your need doesn't mean you're going to increase how much aid you receive. Very good. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. Uh, he is a college funding consultant based in Milwaukee. Uh, his website is Taming thehighcostofcollege.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. 
all from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He's a college funding consultant, uh, helping people uh, doing the whole financial planning for college. His website, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hi, great to be here. So let's talk about scholarships. Uh, there are a lot of scholarships out there. In some cases, it's difficult to get them. In some cases, it's easy because you're the only one applying. Tell us about the pros and cons of getting scholarships, when you should do it, how to find the ones you have the best chance of getting, both the independent ones and those offered specifically by schools. Yes. So, yeah, so that's the first important thing to realize is that there's scholarships that primarily are handed out by the colleges themselves, and obviously you need to attend that particular college in order to receive their scholarship. But there's also independent scholarships. There's the high-end ones like Kohl's and Coca-Cola and Target, um, where they're, they're highly competitive, well-publicized national scholarships where you can throw your hat in the ring. And if you can compete on a national level, you probably should throw your hat in the ring. But there's also local scholarships that might be available from local businesses just in your town um, and only available at your high school. And all of a sudden, the potential applicant pool gets much smaller. There's also scholarships for what makes students unique. You know, if you're a, I did a research recently, if you're an archery expert where you spend a lot of time shooting, shooting targets and you're good at it, there are scholarships out there. Obviously, there's not a lot of your listeners that have that kid, but if you happen to, that's great. So that's another avenue that parents can pursue is to figure out, well, what makes their student unique? Are they left-handed? Are they, you know, unusually short or tall? What, you know, what do they do for hobbies? What do they do, you know, wh- where do they excel? And if you can take that information and then find scholarships around those things, you know, and sometimes they're available and they have a good shot at them. Sometimes you might be in an area where there's not a lot. And what do you have to do as far as you have to write an essay? And what's the timing of when you have to apply for scholarships so it's ready for you by the time you enter college freshman year? Right. Most scholarship applications for freshman year of college are applied sometime throughout your senior year of high school. But some of the larger ones, they have a couple different cutoffs, you know, where you apply early in the fall and they you know, after they get the applications, they make the first cut. And if you make the first cut, then they ask for additional information. And then they do another cut, and then they award something in the spring. Um, other scholarships, they wait until April of your senior year. You apply in April. They award it in May. It's a very quick and easy process. It really depends on what's going on. And again, that's why parents need to figure out their plan for scholarships well in advance so that you can start deciding. You know, I have a student right now, he's got a list of about 25 scholarships that he's applying to. And, I mean, that's, that's a long list. It's a lot of work, keeping track of all the details. And, and, again, some colleges, or excuse me, some scholarships are very simple. You just fill out a form or you submit one essay. And others are much more complex where maybe you're, it's a picture contest or it's, you have to suplete, submit a complete resume 
as well as two essays and recommendations from teachers and other people that know the student. So again, depending on what's involved, you need a lot more work or not. So you need to plan ahead. And that's where I tell people, if you're going to consider scholarships, you should start in your junior year to just understand what you're up against and then make a plan. Because for some families, the plan is it's overwhelming. We don't have enough time. We're just not going to worry about scholarships. We're better off spending our time working or making sure we get our grades up or whatever else. You know, there's other reasons you might consider not doing scholarships. Are there some good scholarship search services? Because there's been a lot of fraud in this area. Say, we'll guarantee you scholarships. There have been some, some bad actors here. What are some of the good scholarship search services out there? Um, certainly, there are a number of them. Um, FastWeb and scholarships.com come to mind, but there's, you know, and I'm leaving out some of their competitors. There's a lot of good, you shouldn't pay for scholarship information this day and age. It, you know, way back when we were going to college and you had to find scholarships by looking in a book, I mean, that's long gone. So um, the challenge, of course, is there are a lot of scholarships out there where the barrier to entry is extremely low. And then it's a lot more like a lottery. You know, it's all you have to do is fill out this simple form and you, you could win $1,000. Well, guess what? Thousands of kids are filling out that simple form, and they're just going to pick a winner. And the, what's the purpose of that scholarship? I mean, it's not really fraud. They are going to award somebody $1,000. But in reality, what they really want is they want everybody's contact information so that they can advertise to them or sell that information or whatever it might be that they're going to use it for. Um, so, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with participating. Just know what you're getting into. And that's... Same can be said with the free scholarship websites. They give you all this information for free. Why or how do they do that? Well, because they collect information as well and sell it and or advertise. You know, there's all kinds of advertisements on these sites. So all of that is available as well. When you get scholarship money, say you win some scholarships, how does that figure into uh, the expected family contribution and the FAFSA form and all that? Because you won't know. When you applied for the FAFSA, if you won the scholarships or not. So how does that work out? Yeah, so scholarships are considered aid, and they may have an impact on your need. So, But that information doesn't go on the FAFSA per se. That information you need to submit to the colleges themselves. So, And all the correspondence that you're dealing with the colleges, they're going to say, if you win scholarships, please let us know. Because in reality, if you needed $10,000 based on the formulas and you won a $10,000 scholarship, your need has now disappeared because you don't need it. You received it. Now, that's called displacement. Colleges and the whole financial aid community is aware of that problem, and it doesn't seem fair in some regards, and, but they're not exactly sure what to do about it because of just the way the system has been set up, where if you work hard for scholarships, you could... A lot of times you're going to lose other aid, though, and that's what a lot of colleges do. So if you win a scholarship, they're going to say, all right, well, we're going to reduce your loan because you have a scholarship. Um, but occasionally you lose, you know, you gain a scholarship on one side and you lose a scholarship on the other. And then it's like, well, why did I work so hard on the scholarships? But that's pretty rare. I would say that most people winning scholarships is going to be a, a plus across the board. So there seems like a huge temptation to cheat, or at least lie on the part of both parents and kids, like they want a scholarship and they don't tell the school about it, or they're hiding assets someplace, or they don't say all the correct numbers, they understate the numbers in the FAFSA form. Does that happen all the time, and what happens if you get caught? Um, well, it depends on which one we're talking about now, but 
federal financial aid is just like taxes, right? In that you're saying that this is true and correct, just and penalties are similar where you're messing with the federal government and if you're blatantly trying to defraud, I'm pretty sure they'll come after you. On the flip side, a whole lot of people make mistakes in their FAFSA because it's new to them and they don't really know what they're doing. I, and I probably could say the same about taxes, right? You do the best you can. And if you made a mistake, generally the colleges will catch it because they do audit a number of, and they'll just change it and adjust your aid accordingly. So if you said, you know, my income was $50,000 when in fact your income was 75000 because you, you know, did it wrong for some whatever reason, the colleges will get a copy of your taxes. They'll correct the mistake and then they'll redo the financial aid and say, oh, you know, you made a mistake. Therefore, we cha- had to change everything and adjust it accordingly. And now your aid package is different. So do the um, colleges have access to your tax returns or is it the Department of Education where the FAFSA form goes? Uh, neither one has them directly, but they will ask for access as part of the audit and verification process. And you have to give them access. You have to agree to that. Well, no. Uh, only if you want to receive financial aid. So there are people out there who say, I don't think it's the college's business as far as what information I have. And the colleges will say, that's fine. You don't have to tell us anything. Just don't be upset when you pay full price. Because, (laughs) right? They've got you. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're in, some people, they know they're not going to get any aid anyway. So that's their stance. We're not going to tell you anything. We're going to end up writing a big check and we're okay with that. Uh-huh. Okay. So now let's go to the process where you've gotten into some colleges, either early admission or regular admission, and say you've gotten two or three uh, admissions. And is this something that you help them play one college off against another to get more financial aid or lower the tuition? How does that whole process work once you've got some admissions in hand? Right. Um, yes. I mean, that's certainly what I I help people with now play one college off the other sounds like it's a horse trading or something. And, um, the reality is most colleges that does work to some extent, but you, the idea that, Hey, this college is going to be cheaper than you. And I demand a better price. That's generally not the way it's going to work in general. When you're working with colleges, they're there to help. And if one college is way outside the norm compared to other colleges, they may be willing to adjust things or they may not be willing to adjust things. And it's not, you know, my lawyer is going to negotiate with your lawyer kind of thing, you know, where you see some in some other business. Um, it's more of, a, you know, can you help me? You're my number one choice of all the colleges available to me. And unfortunately, you're, you know, much higher in price or your aid is much lower or whatever the issue is. You know, did you did we make a mistake on your forms? Is there something we can do about it? Are there other scholarships or loans available that can help fill the gap? Please help me come to your school. Now, what I recommend is you don't do that unless you're serious about going to that school, right? If you get three offers and, you know, you don't just start negotiating everywhere just to, just to see what happens. I would say you pick the schools you're truly interested in attending and, and work with them and, uh, Kind of so is that, is that something that you do? Do you talk to the colleges directly or do you coach the parents or the kid on what to do? Um, generally, I coach parents. Um, yeah, I mean, colleges don't want to hear from us. Um, realistically, they don't even want to hear from parents. They want to hear from students. And that's the, you know. So the student is supposed to do these negotiations doing exactly what you just said. I get right. a better offer elsewhere. 
Are students ready to do that kind of thing? Some are and some aren't. And parents would still need to be in as part of the process. But if your student's sitting in the corner playing on their phone while mom and dad are talking with the financial aid office saying, you know, we really love your school and we want little Johnny to go here, and, but we demand you give us a better price, that's not going to go over so well. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if mom and dad are sitting in the corner waiting patiently while little Johnny is up there saying, hey, I really like your school. These are the reasons I love it. Unfortunately, you know, mom and dad are only offering me this much money, so I'm 10000 short. And is there another job I can get or another loan or another, you know, is there other scholarships or how, is there a way I can fill the gap so I can come to the school I really want to attend? That'll go over well to have the kid doing that, you're saying. Yes, that's a better tact than, you know, you're 10000 more than the competitor. What's wrong with you? Bring your <laughs> price down or we're not coming. Well, guess what? They're going to say, you're right. You're not coming. <laughs> Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He's a college funding consultant uh, based in the Milwaukee area. And you can find out more about him at his website, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brad Baldrich. He's a college funding consultant based in Milwaukee. Helps people around the country. Uh, You can find out more about him and his college funding uh, services at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hi. So a lot of people put themselves into financial jeopardy. I'm talking about the parents, in some cases even grandparents, by borrowing against the equity in their house with their HELOC, by borrowing against their 401k, by taking out money out of their IRA, grandparents even doing the same thing. What do you recommend as a broader financial planner so that people don't put themselves in jeopardy because they want their kid to have a, a fancy school? Yes. I see a lot of families doing just the same thing where they're overextending themselves. 
um, because they feel it's their responsibility or because it's just what they want to do. And I think for a lot of families, it's not not that they'd, uh, they don't really understand what they're getting themselves into because they haven't followed it all the way to the end. A lot of families don't really understand if they're on track for retirement at all, let alone figuring out if what they're doing with college is going to have an impact on retirement. So a typical family says, well, I hope to retire someday. And if you ask them if they're on track, they're going to say, I don't know. And then if you say, well, if you play for college, how is that going to have an impact? And you say, well, I don't know that either because I really don't have any idea where I'm at. So I think that's where in working with families, first step you need to figure out is, well, you know, how well are you planning for retirement? Are you on track for retirement? Are you saving for retirement? And then you can take the next step and say, if I take an extra fifty dollars or $100,000 of my assets and pay for college or whatever the number is going to be, again, depending on prices and number of students, et cetera, what kind of impact will that be? You know, and I've run analysis where it's like, okay, if we do everything just right without, with the low-cost school, you're on track to retire at 62. And if you do everything just right and we spend more money on college, you're on track to retire at 64. And I've had some parents say, well, no way. I mean, two years for college, they're just not going to do that. And I've had other parents look at a result like that and say, oh, well, in that case, I plan to work until 65, 70 anyway. I guess we can do whichever one we choose. I mean, it's fine with us. But in order to get that far in the process, you really need to understand, again, are you on track for retirement? And then decide how much you want to spend on on college. And I think that's a... Stretch and how about lots. grandparents? Are you seeing grandparents starting to give money for their grandkids as well and hurting their own retirements? Um, yes. And well, I've seen grandparents participate both hurting their own retirement and just helping because they afford, can and want to and can afford to. Um, the reality is college is getting more and more expensive. One of the primary reasons is it's worth it for a lot of kids. You know, they raise the prices. Kids still show up. Why not raise prices? Um, but we're getting to the point now where a lot of colleges you know, are getting a little bit of pushback where they're not filling their class as much as they'd like and they're giving more aid. So prices aren't going up quite as quickly. But again, it's becoming a lifetime commitment for the parents, grandparents, or students to make this all come together. You know, Students might have a 20-year loan payment you know, at a few hundred dollars a month or $800 a month, just, again, depending on how much they borrow and, and that kind of stuff. And so- so how do you get have people get the right balance as to how much of the debt should go into the parents' and grandparents' name through HELOCs, 401k loans, and other loans, versus in the kids' name where they're going to have student loan debt when they graduate? Getting the right balance there. Yeah, and I think that's a case-by-case situation. The reality of it is most students, especially your typical you know, 17-, 18-year-old high school graduate that's going off to college, they cannot borrow – a whole lot of money. They can borrow typically 5500 as a freshman and then 65 and 7500 sophomore, junior and senior year. So all told they can borrow about $30,000. After that, mom and dad can borrow more money on plus loans or they can borrow, you know, again from their own retirement, from their own home equity, they can borrow and they can co-sign um, student loans. But mom and dad are the ones essentially that are opening the spigot and allowing these kids to graduate with you know seventy five, a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt um, by facilitating it somehow. 
But the parents uh, are co-signing that, so it's it, exactly. And if they don't co-sign it, the kid can't borrow that much, and he can't afford the the tuition. Is what you're saying? Exactly. Then the kid's probably not going to be able to get in over their head, at least for undergraduate. Now, once they go on to um, graduate degrees or professional degrees, then the loan situation changes. You know, a typical MBA or typical MD can borrow a whole lot of money, so they're kind of a different animal. But the typical, you know, graduating with just a bachelor's degree. Again, mom and dad are facilitating the loans or they're taking the loans out in their own name or they're somehow involved in perpetuating the, the loan situation. So um, just taking a, a broader look at the situation, and there's a lot of complaints about this whole thing that students have taken on well over a trillion dollars in debt. Uh, political candidates are saying they want to cut interest rates, cut student loan debt. Some are even talking about making college free. But what, it seems like we're reaching a breaking point here where people just can't keep adding the amount of debt they've been doing. What do you think is going to be happening on a macro level to this whole college debt situation? Yeah. Well, I think there's going to be some low-cost alternatives. And, and it gets into the philosophical side of college, which is, is college um, job training? Are you going to college to learn specific skills that you can turn around and get a job with? Are you going to college to learn how to be a good learner, to expand your horizons? What is the purpose of college? Because if you're trying to get specific skills for a specific job, I think in a lot of cases that type of training is going to potentially move online or move to companies where they'll have internship programs. Um, there's lots of ways that that can happen where you may, not, you may be a combination of work and school at the same time. So there's lots of creative ways that this can be solved. But the reality is that, at least right now, most parents and students don't want the creative. They want the college experience and are willing to borrow the money or save the money or somehow make it happen. You're saying that on the margins, you're already starting to see resistance to these tuitions that are, in many cases, well over $60,000 a year. Um, is the whole online world, like Udacity um, and, and uh, Coursera, these other kind of online universities that are, in fact, the same lectures you get in the in the schools by the same professors at Stanford or MIT, is that going to be a viable alternative in gaining a lot of ground for people who just don't want to take on these kind of debts? I think it's certainly possible. Um, I think there's probably another upset coming along that we don't know what it is yet. I mean, it doesn't exist yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some challenges with education in general because a lot of 18-year-olds that are in college right now aren't there to learn anything. They just want that piece of paper. You know? And if you said, you don't have to learn a thing, just write me a check for $50,000 and I'll give you a degree, there's a lot of kids that would take that. And of course, A lot of people, as I understand, that aren't even graduating in four years. A huge number graduate in five years or don't even graduate at all for a long time. And yes. I mean, what, what happens to those kind of people? That same, same issue where you know, they're going to end up paying for college and so forth that maybe they didn't even get the degree for. But graduation rates is a challenge, at, especially at some of the crowded state schools where it's really hard to get all the courses you need in the right order at the right time in order to graduate promptly in a four-year situation. So a lot of state schools, you know, you should plan on a four and a half or five years or including some summer school or somehow, you know, looking at the bigger picture again. But yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. I don't know that there's no right answer for everyone, and you really just need to spend the time to figure it out. So as we come to a close, kind of tell people, kind of summarize a little bit what difference it'll make 
to work with somebody like you and going through this whole process as opposed to the way most people do it, kind of the last-minute scramble routine. Right. Well, I, and again, I think in general, if you can find someone that will help you through the process, it's relying on somebody else's experience and you know, potentially getting all the information in one place at one time. But we're the whole society is shifting that way, right? We used to change our own oil and take care of our own yard and can our own goods and put them on the, in the pantry and do everything ourselves. And now we're becoming, as a society, a specialist. I'll work really good at my job and I'll pay somebody else to put fruit in a can and put it on my pantry. And I'll pay somebody else to take care of my yard and maintain my car. Um, but I'll be really good at what I do. And that's, and again, where a lot of people are going, where hiring the expert you can do it at a, at a higher level. Maybe you can do it faster. Maybe you can do it better and save money or find better aid or, you know, and somehow get back what you've spent on the process. And then for other families, it's just a time commitment. Most families are really, really busy. And they say, well, I can learn college on my own or I can pay someone to help me who will then point me to the right resources. Tell me which books to read. Help me and apply all this knowledge. You know, the information isn't the problem. It's taking all this information and applying it to your particular situation yeah. in a way Very that good. makes sense. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot during this hour. My guest has been Brad Baldridge. He's a college funding consultant based in Milwaukee, but he deals with people all over the country. You can find out more about him at his website, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Brad. Thank you. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.